Father, we thank you for this time together. Thank you for your word. We pray that you would make it real to us this morning, that you would reveal Christ to us, that you would show yourself as who you are um, in him. We thank you that you've given us the gift of your son and that you are by your spirit transforming us day by day into his image. We pray that we yield ourselves to your spirit, that we... um, strive and work out this salvation with fear and trembling, knowing that it's you who works within us. We thank you for your grace. We thank you for your compassion on us and all of our flaws and failures and brokenness. We ask that you continue to break us down and fix us, that we would love each other as you have loved us, that we would love you rightly. In Christ we pray, amen. Well, welcome to the uh, to the um, morning. The, the the sick wing of Sylvania. You've got the hospital wing over here. As all of us are on lung machines this morning, let's pull out our Bibles. We are in chapter thirty-three of Exodus. Welcome. Come on in. It's not awkward at all, is it? No, no problem. Yeah, I was gonna teach anyway. You're going to teach it? Well, hey, you might do a better job this morning. David's voice might go out. I might call on you. All right, we are in chapter 33 of Exodus, starting in verse 12. Remember where we're coming from. Israel had engaged in idolatry with a golden calf. God had tempered judgment with mercy because of the work of the covenant mediator, Moses. The judgment was over. Remember there were the two slaughters. A slaughter by the Levites who was on the Lord's side and then Moses sent them out to kill 3,000 because they were an open rebellion against God. And then God strikes them. We're not told the number. We're not told how. Uh, some translations say a plague, but it's just we, the language doesn't really tell us what it was. But whatever it was, it, qu- it quenched or quelled the rebellion that was going on. But an issue remains, and we discussed it last week in verses 1 through 11. What was the issue that remained? Judgment had, had subsided, but an issue remained. Do you remember what it was? God was not going to reside with them or dwell with them. He wasn't going to dwell with them. That's right. And that was the whole point of the covenant, right? I'll be their God, they'll be my people, I'll dwell with them. Uh, did he leave them all together? No. no. No, what happened? He distanced himself. He's outside the camp. Uh, he promised that he would do two things. What was it? He'd fight their wars. He'd fight their battles for them. By means of whom? An angel. An angel, non-identified angel. And then what else would he do? He's going to fight the war to what end? To get them to the land, right? So you're still going to get the land. You're still going to have somebody fight your battles for you. An angel it won't... And yet, but there's something that, that's distinct. He's not going to dwell with them. He's not going to be with them. Um, how did they know this, by the way, that God would do these things? He told them through Moses. He told them through Moses where? Where was, where was Moses whenever God... He pitched a tent outside of the camp. He pitched a tent that Moses called the tent of meeting outside the camp. 
The tent of meeting was supposed to be the tabernacle that was inside the camp where God dwelled in their midst. And yet Moses, I think in faith, builds this tent outside to keep communion with God going on behalf of the people. All right. That's where we start in verse 12. I'm going to try this. (laughs) No, I'll read it. I'll read it. Moses said to the Lord, See, you say to me, bring up this people, but you have not let me know whom you will send with me. Yet you have said, I know you by name, and you have also found favor in my sight. Now, therefore, if I have found favor in your sight, please show me now your ways, that I may know you in order to find favor in your sight. Consider, too, that this nation is your people. And he said, My presence will go with you, and I will give you rest. And he said to him, If your presence will not go with me, do not bring us up from here. For how shall it be known that I have found favor in your sight, I and your people. Is it not in your going with us so that we are distinct, I and people, from every other people on the face of the earth? And the Lord said to Moses, This very thing that you have spoken I will do, for you have found favor in my sight, and I know you by name. Moses said, Please show me your glory. And he said, I will make all my goodness pass before you and will proclaim before you my name, the Lord. And I will be gracious to whom I will be gracious and I will show mercy on whom I will show mercy. But, he said, you cannot see my face for man shall not see me and live. And the Lord said, behold, there is a place by me where you shall stand on the rock. And while my glory passes by, I will put you in a cleft of the rock and I will cover you with my hand until I have passed by. Then I will take away my hand and you shall see my back, but my face shall not be seen. I'm going to tell you up front, I cannot cover everything in this passage this morning. So I'm going to do it two weeks. (laughs) And that still won't be enough. But this morning, I just want to go through the language here and see what it says. Look at verse 12. The first word that Moses uses to God, see. And we've seen that before. It's an imperative. It's a command. Look, call attention to this. Discern this. Understand this. Examine, inspect. What does he want to know first? What is Moses wanting to know first? Let's go take them in order. What does he say? You have not let me know whom you will send with me. Well, what what does he mean by that? You will not let me know whom you will send with me. Didn't God tell him that an angel would go before him? Who is this angel? You, You haven't told me who this is. You just say this angel is going before me. That's his first question. What's the second question? What's the second request? Show me your ways. Show me your ways. 
That's an odd thing to say. What kind of national interest does that have? Show me your ways. So that he will know him, so he can uh, find favor and insight. Hmm. If you know God, you can know what he, if you know what he is, you can do what he He's asking something very interesting, isn't he? <coughs> Show me your ways it often has the, the, the understanding of just that. Who are you? How do you work? Right? Um, what, what characterizes this request? Why does Moses feel like he can ask this? What does he say? What is he, on what basis is he asking that? You've told me I found favor. Right? in a sense, praying God's word back to him, isn't he? You found favor. What else does he say? You know me by name. Pretty amazing thing to say, isn't it? You know me, God, eternal, invisible, God who speaks, knows me by name. And you've told me I've found favor in your sight. Yeah, he spent 40 days with him, and he's still wanting to know more of him. Yeah, very good. Um, That's the two things he points to. God says that I know you by name. There's great intimacy here in this statement. God never uses that of anyone else in the Bible. I know you by name. He says it of Moses. Uh, God said that Moses had found favor in his sight. No one else in Scripture is characterized this way, really, apart from Noah. Which kind of lets you know that Noah was different than what you see in the movie. God found, he found favor with God. Based on these two pretty momentous things, what would you ask for? God knows me by name. I found favor in his sight. He doesn't ask for money. He doesn't ask for fame. Uh, he, he doesn't ask for um, the, the Rolls Royce of chariots, comfortable retirement in the burbs. What does he ask for? Show me your ways. Sounds like the psalmist, doesn't it? Teach me your ways, O Lord. What that means is show me your ways. He wants God to reveal him his personality and how he works in creation. He wants to know God, not just about him. That's his desire, to know God, not just a bunch of stuff about him. What's that last request in, in verse 13? What does it say? Show me your ways that I may know you in order to find favor in your sight. And then the last request he says... Consider this nation. Wait a minute. He's just spent all this time. You've known me. You've graced me with your favor. Consider too this nation. He's still interceding for them. He's still a covenant mediator. You see the heart of Moses here. He identifies with these people. When he, I mean, would you? <laughs> Would, would I? Yeah. Okay, so Moses is not divine. No, he's not. 
but yet we are, he is being characterized as this person that intercedes. Yeah, he's been placed in that office and fitted for the task. It seems it seems uh, it seems uncomfortable that he's reminding God of you know his character and what he's promised and like for some reason there's this conflict in my mind. Why is he wrestling with God and changing God's mind on some yeah, things? Yeah, yeah. It's like God's very interesting point that I, that we'll, we'll we'll address that in a second. But you're right. That's a great perception on the tension. Yeah. I was going to try my best answer. Okay. We'll see it in a little bit. Maybe, maybe you have a better answer than I do, but we'll see. That's the same answer. I hope so. <laughs> There's another C. There's another drawing his attention to. It's consider Israel and remember that they are his people. Even though they have sinned, even though they're stiff-necked runaway cows, would you have compassion on them? Right? <laughs> you are what you worship. Right? Would you still have compassion on them? He said. Well, he, you are whom you worship. You become what you worship. Um, the psalmist says, "Delight yourself in the Lord, and He'll give you the desires of your heart, because your desires reflect His <coughs> desires." You see uh, that in Moses here. Would you, would your, he's still asking for God's presence to be in the midst of them. Can you make yourself known to them? That's what he's asking. Um, this is the thing I find interesting about this. If we say we know God, and we want to know Him more, uh, through study of the Word, through prayer, through coming together, the, all the means of grace that He's given us to know Him better, if we say we want to know Him, is our, nest, is our next breath, let them know you too. You see how that's His next move? I want to know you more. Let them know you too. Do we? Is that our natural bent? We seek those little closet times with God and we go, oh, I had a great prayer time this morning with God. God, let them know you too. There is always an outward thrust of love. Always. It's otherness, other personness of love and mercy and compassion and wanting others to find favor with God. Even more so, we see this in Moses. Blot me from your book, but save them. We saw that earlier. We see that with Paul. I wish myself I were cut off for the sake of my kinsman, Israel. Do we have that heart? I think to know God means you have His heart. That's His heart. That they may know me. Isn't that the heart of the law? Love God. Love people. By pointing them to God in word and deed. What is God, how does God respond to this? What's His response? Verse 14 through 17. What is his, what is he, how does He answer Moses here? What does He say? You're right, I did say that. I will. I will go with you. Yeah, I remember saying that. Uh, I will go with you. Literally, the, the language says, my face will go with you. My face will go with you. Um, it, it's looking back again, as we, what we saw last week. God talked to Moses face to face as with a friend. It's that closeness between God and Moses. And he's saying he'll go wholeheartedly with Moses. 
is someone missing. That you there is singular. What about the nation? The people. He's answered the first part, sort of, you know, that, that I will go with you. But he's not answered the next part. Consider this nation. There's no mention of the people. Um, and, then, and then he tags on to, I'll go with you, he says, and I will give you rest. What does that mean? Moses have a lot of built-up angst. He needs some Xanax or something. What, what, what's going on with Moses? What's this rest he's talking about? The people are rebelling. The people are rebelling. What's the rest? What does it mean? He doesn't, didn't he request of God to know what to do next? And to know God's ways? Like he, he wants, as a leader, he wants to know what to do. He wants God's wisdom as to how to move forward. Okay, so ways would include lead of wisdom. Yes. But certainly not limited to that, but it would include that. Um, many times in, in Scripture, especially Old Testament, when, when it talks about give you rest give you peace. It's talking about possession of God's promised land. The promise they had, the physical representation of that is the land. So God is saying, I will bring you into the rest that I've promised. He's making basically the same kind of promise that He made to the patriarchs. He's making to Moses. I'll give you rest. But again, He's making no mention of the people in this promised rest. Is that enough for Moses? Why wouldn't it be? I mean, he's going to go before us. He's going to fight our battles. He's going to know me. So let's move on. We got it. We got. I mean, as long as I get to know you, I'm cool. Does he stop there? Moses associates his future with the people of Israel. Look at what he says. If your presence will not go with me, do not bring us up from here. He just said his presence would go with Moses. What does he mean if it won't go up with me? Don't bring us from here. He's conjoining himself with the people. If we can't go with you, or if you're not going to go with us, we're not going to go. I'm not going to go at all. I am not distinct from these people. What you do to me is done to them the close identity he has with the people of Israel as their mediator. How does that sound like? <laughs> if, it, if it can't be done to me, if it can't be done to them, it's not going to be done to me. That's what he's saying. If God does not go up with all of Israel, he's not really going up with Moses either. He's bound to the people as a covenant mediator. His future and his expectations are bound with the people of the covenant. And so he presses God further on behalf of the Hebrews. He presses them. Why? What's the point of it all? What, I'll use Hillary Clinton, what difference does it make for God to be present with the people? He said he's going to go up with Moses. Why is that, why is that significant? Yeah. Moses says it in the next. He does, doesn't he? Portion of the verse. I'm counting on you to know that. How shall it be known that it is not in your going with us to the way to think I am the people? Well, how shall it be known that I have found favor in your sight? I am the people. It's it's saying, you know, how how will everybody know that you are 
you are the God, how will we know you're distinct, you're not just like the other gods. It's you are being with all of them, not just me saying that, not Moses saying he's with just Moses, but everybody seeing it, being with all of the people and, and fulfilling his promise. How do I know I have your favor if I, as covenant mediator, can't secure your presence for these people? How do I know that I am known by name, by you, that you know my name? If, if you're not, how, what's the worldview at the time of gods, of deity? How, how do they relate to the people? Who, 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 regionally. They're regionally. And, and, and how do they communicate with the deity, That's the pagan guys? How do they do that? Sacrifice. They're sacrificed to what? Some idol, Some idol that represents... The locus, the, the position of the deity. The deity's way off, right? He's out there. We have to bring him into a little bitty gold thing and act like, you know, this is our, this is our, this is our stargate, you know, whatever, to get to... That's, that's, how the, that's the relationship between God, uh, uh, gods, plural, the pagan gods, and man. They're out there. They don't speak. They don't talk. They don't have voices. <clears throat> they don't exist. And yet God has condescended to come down and speak out of the fire, to speak from the mountain. How will we know that we are distinct and truly have favor of the God if you don't dwell with us? Us, and it has to be us. Not just me, us. God's presence makes them a distinct people on the earth. That's the only thing that sets them apart. That uh, verb for make distinct is used earlier in Exodus to stress the difference between Israel and the Egyptians, remember, in the plagues. They're distinct. They're, they're, there's a difference. And the difference was because of the grace and favor of God. Some of the plagues fell on the Egyptians. It did not fall on Israel. They were in Goshen. They were distinct. How does God res respond to this? What does he say? What does he say? The very thing you have spoken I will do. What very thing? Dwell with the people. What does that mean? Sounds like they're, they got the okay now to build the tabernacle. It's exactly right. They're restored. He restores them. You know, Moses, on second thought, I'm looking at them. They're good people. I see a great future in their in their head. Right? <laughs> it's a great a great people. Yeah. So when I when I think of uh, God's presence, I think of uh, I think of hope, joy, peace, um, and order. Uh, when I think of God God's absence, I think of disorder, calamity, darkness, yeah. confusion, fear, weeping, gnashing of teeth. You know, I mean, yeah. these are, I'm just. When he speaks, so, he brings order out of yeah. chaos. So every time you say presence with or presence again, mm -hmm. like these are the kind of the things right. that are involved. So, apparently I'm right. <laughs> <laughs> the joke comes later. The punchline comes later. Go ahead. Anyway, I, I, just, I, don't know, I just throw that out there. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So, yes, you're right. It, it, and his piece is it brings order out of chaos. Right. And they had a lot of chaos in the camp. And now he restores them. Uh, to the covenant. He fully restores the people. 
He will be present with the entire community. And this confirms that he can go ahead, that they can go ahead and build the temple. What basis does he have for doing this? Again, this is a great bunch of guys. What does he say? <laughs> well, not, not yet. Not yet. He says, I will restore them. I will do the thing you've asked because... You have found favor, and I know you by name. Singular. Because you have found favor, and I know you by name, I impute that to the people. Where Moses was linking his people with himself, God is now linked. God's going to do the same thing. He's now seeing the people through Moses and needed with Christ. Yeah. Yeah, Moses is, is linked with the people. Now God, being linked with Moses, is also linked with the people. It's a, it's, it's a train, I don't know. It's, a, it's, a, it's a, a, a federal headship that happens. That God himself takes on the burden that Moses had taken on for the people. We're all in this together now. Because you found favor. <laughs> we'll get, or are we going to address that later? We may later. Okay. Um, all right. So all of this is agreed to. God cap- he, he capitulates. We'll say that in quotes because God doesn't change. But God agrees to this based on the favor that He's shown Moses and the, and, and the intimate knowledge that He has of Moses. He's agreed to everything Moses has asked. Yes? Has he? What's missing? Show me your ways. Verse 13 is missing. Show me your ways. So Moses, being a good negotiator, what's that? Is it the same as his glory? We're about to see that. Being a good negotiator, Moses doesn't want to leave anything on the table. I've asked for these four things. There's one left. Right? And he says this. And listen to the language. Well, I want to say this first. When I began practicing law, I had a, there was an attorney I practiced with who was older, wiser, much more <coughs> professional than I was at the time. Probably still is. And he told me a piece of advice whenever we were at hearings. And I think it was in response to something I did. He said, whenever the judge starts making your argument for you, shut your mouth and nod your head. <laughs> he said, how the multitude of words, calamity happens. So just, just shut your mouth and nod your head. Moses didn't get this memo. He's given him everything that was, seems to be to move the nation forward to get them where they want to go. But he keeps talking. Um... Show me your ways is still not answered. And yet he says to him, verse 18, Please, show me your glory. He wants to know God's essential being and how He operated in creation. It's that knowledge, the essence of who God is and how He operates. That's at the heart of this request. 
It's an earnest plea. Do you hear that? Please, show me your glory. He yearns to know God this way, a fuller way. I have an uncle. I have several uncles, but, but one of them in particular has cracked me up for years. Um, he uh, is Pat and Patty. Go figure. It's a Hallmark thing waiting to happen. Um, <laughs> And my uncle Pat uh, is a sweet man. He he uh, he said one one significant anniversary that he had with my aunt Patty. I said, "Man, y'all, how y'all make it this long?" And he said, "Well, I finally feel like I've got a bachelor's in Patty, and I'm now working on my master's." <laughs> when you love someone, you want to know what makes them tick, right? I don't even reached a bachelor's with Tammy yet, but <laughs> still in geeky high school. Um, That's pretty cute. Yeah. Um, when you love someone, you want to know what makes them tick. You want to know how they operate. From what do they move? What moves them? Show me your ways. Please show me your glory. What is glory? Talk about glory. What do we mean by that? couple of ways it's used in Scripture. The word, the Hebrew word is, and I'm going to probably botch it up, but it's kabod. You may have heard of that before. But it talks about kabod. When you have a cold, kabod. Uh, so, <laughs> sorry. Kabod is, is, is a weightiness, a heaviness in Hebrew. And it has a, a quantitative element, the number of something. We talk about in Exodus earlier, he talked about the heaviness of the sins on the heart of Pharaoh, the number of them, the, um, the weight of the armor of the Egyptians coming after them was a heaviness. You quantify it. The other way it's used is a qualitative. There's the moral weight, the moral essence of a person. Um, what, what is... Uh, the moral quality that defines, that primarily defines a person. And that's what Moses is asking here. What primarily defines you? From what heart do you move? Show me what defines you. How does he reveal himself? First of all, how does he do it? What is he? What, what, but how do we know that? First, you're right. But what, what do we? How do we know that? Sit down. I'd like to show you a 10-minute video clip. The, here's a bunch of pictures I want to show you. What does he? What does he do? He speaks. It's a proclamation. It's his word that goes forward to reveal who he is. To reveal the heart by which he does everything. And he, and he does three things. What's the first one? Show all my goodness. All my goodness. First, all my goodness. That's to go before Moses. <clears throat> his words tell of his attributes, and he starts with all my goodness. God is frequently described in the Old Testament as good. Remember uh, the rich young ruler, good teacher, what must I do to be saved? What is Jesus' response to him? Why do you call me good? There's none good but God. Do you mean that? Right? He's calling for him. Do, are you associating me 
as God. God is good. All my goodness will pass before you. Uh, don't just throw that word around, Jesus saying to the rich young girl, unless you mean it, right? My goodness passed before you. The word for good also is used throughout the ancient Near East in, in treaty documents to refer to a covenantal friendship between parties. There's covenant language here. All my goodness will go before you. What does he next proclaim to him with his words? What does he next proclaim? His name, which is what? The Lord, capital L, capital O, capital R, capital D. What does it stand for? We know in our English translations. Yahweh, which means? Two words, three letters total. I am. All my goodness. All my existence. Eternality, unchangeableness, reality, personality, ultimate personality, right? An ultimate person. There's no mask with God. He's pure, holy, undefiled. I am. What's the significance of proclaiming that name at this moment? Why do you think? That's why I told Chris to hold off. Why do you think he proclaims that name at this moment? I am. Moses has just negotiated with God. And if we were looking at negotiations, I would say Moses got the better end of this deal. He got the, the other party to capitulate to everything he asked for. Almost. I am. God did not get out negotiated by, by Moses. <laughs> I don't change. I'm eternal. I'm a rock. Everything that you have done, everything that I've given you today, I meant to from eternity past to give at this moment. I don't change. I am. You're not changing my mind about the people, Moses. What I do, I do because I'm free to do so. I'm free regardless of what they do. And then he says, let me spell it out for you. What does he next say? Goodness, name, what? You want to know my heart. You want to know what moves me. I will, I am free to be gracious to whom I will be gracious. I am free to have mercy on whom I will have mercy. And I will have mercy on these people. What an amazing thing. He gives freedom. He gives favor. That word gracious that we see in the ESV is, is translated other places as favor. I will give favor to whom I will give favor. Huh. What's the proclamation of the angels on the birth of Christ? Glory to God in the highest. Peace on earth. And good will to those on whom His favor rests. Right? I will give favor to whom I will give favor. Um, the word we use here is sovereign for this. 
sure we've heard that word a few times around here. Uh, I want to go into this. This is the same language that Paul uses in Romans 9. And we're going to go over that next week. I think it would be important to draw that out. Some people had some questions about sovereignty of God. What does that mean? How extensive is that? What does that look like? We'll talk about that next week. But he says this, I'm free. And Moses, you couldn't stand it. You can't stand it. No man can see my face and live. What does that mean? Joel Osteen has never seen his face. Even with that bright smile? No man can see my face and live. Moses, on whom the favor of God rests, whose name is known by God, is still unholy, broken, trapped in the fall. It cannot, Moses' nature cannot behold the splendor of God's nature that is sinless, holy, and free. Even Moses. Even Moses. Even Moses cannot see the face of God. If any of us could, if any of us could behold God, it should be Moses. Even Moses. God knows him, speaks to him as a friend, and Moses has found God's favor Not even Moses. What does he see of God? There are three anthropomorphisms that are used. I have 20 minutes. There are three anthropomorphisms that are used of God here. Anthropomorphisms is is God is not a man. He's spirit. And yet God condescends to use images that we can relate to of of body parts so that we can, you know. He, He uses three of those here. What are they? Hand, back, and face. Face you can't see, but he, he does something with the hand and the back. Moses doesn't see God fully, doesn't see his face, but he sees him partially, a glimpse, we could say. It's a symbol of the reality. Mankind can only partially perceive and discern the attributes of God. We can never discern or comprehend God's essential nature but for his condescension to us and then he says I'll pass by remember that language uh, some of you may back in Genesis when God puts Abraham to sleep and passes by what does it pass by what do you think that means what does it refer to I'll just tell you it's covenantal covenantal language the ratification of the covenant happens by passing by. You see that with Abraham. You see it here. Well, that's why Moses asked for it, because whenever he gave him the Ten Commandments originally, God revealed himself to him. And now they're like reestablishing the covenant, and he's like, well, it's not, it's not finished until you show me yourself. It's not ratified yet. Is that, I think you're right. God passes by and ratifies the covenant that they already breached. Because at his heart, he will have compassion, he will have mercy, he will show favor on whom he will show favor. Yeah? Is it kind of in the concept where the angel passed over the house, he's over on the Passover, the Passover, and it's like kind of the same covenant? Well, I don't, I think it's maybe the same, 
maybe a hint of that. I, I think it's a different context there because that's a judgment thing. This is more of a, of a grace thing, although that was a grace thing by passing over rather than... But this is, this is in context of the actual covenant itself, so I, I, I don't want to link that too much. There may be some linkage there. I'll grant you. Um, even Moses. Doesn't this highlight the depth of our corruption in Adam? Even Moses. But God, as Paul says in 1 Timothy 6.16, who alone has immortality, who dwells in unapproachable light, whom no one has ever seen or can see. But God is gracious to condescend and reveal himself, even the glimpse to Moses. How does he do it? He puts him in a hole that was carved out of the side of a rock. A rock that was fashioned for the purpose for which God intended it. How does he describe the rock? Where's its location? It's by me. Where Moses could stand as a friend can stand in the presence of another. The rock is by me. God further covered Moses with his own hand. What's significant about a hand? The right arm of Pharaoh is going to do this. No, the the right arm of God will crush Pharaoh. All of his power, all of his action is described in terms of his hand. That power, the symbol of his work, how do you work in creation? The symbol of his working in creation covers Moses. Does Moses have a right to that hand? No. Does Moses cause it to come on? No. It's a foreign covering and yet very personal to God. Because of where God places Moses to stand and because of the foreign covering God gives to protect Moses, Moses gets a glimpse of the essence of God. Well, that's great for Moses. The Apostle John, when he starts the Gospel of John, pulls from this scene very heavily. Very heavily. And in verse 14, he says, And the Word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we have seen His glory, glory as of the only Son from the Father, full of grace and truth. John is directly pulling from this event. John's a Jew. Yes, we agree John was a Jew. John understands the weight of this, right? (laughs) Uh, This is a national identity issue for him. One of us has actually experienced seeing the presence of God, seen at least part of it. Which among you Gentiles can say that? One of us has actually done that, has actually been favored with that. He understands the significance of what he's saying. Moses only got a glimpse, but with the incarnation of Christ, the second person of the Trinity, coming clothed in human flesh, those who trust in Jesus alone don't see the full glory of God either. We can't behold the full glory of God. Even fully glorified, we would be able to hold the full glory of God. Angels hide their face at the full glory of God. 
But what has God done? He's clothed Himself in something, someone we can see. The mirror of the invisible God, the, the image of what we cannot see. Philip said, Jesus, show us the Father and it is enough for us. And Jesus is like, man, that's a very big request, Philip. I, you know, I don't know how we're going to do that. Have you not been with me so long that you still don't know me? When you see me, you see the Father. God has clothed Christ in flesh. Why? To show His glory. To show His weightiness. To show and to display the essence of His heart. How? This is a body you fashioned for me. Right? Christ calls out. For a purpose. And he breaks the body. He needed a body to be broken for us. Is only man, right, that could atone for the sins of man. Is only God who is infinite enough to bear the weight of all the people that he would save. Only God is worth that to pay for that. The full nature of God is simply beyond human sight and comprehension. It's beyond our pay grade. But as one of the smart guys um, said uh, in my prep for this, he says, what Jesus does reveal, does, what Jesus does reveal is as much of the divine nature as man can see and receive. This is the glory. And this is the thing that I think is beautiful about the hope that we have of eternity with Christ is that as we are being transformed again and again, we know Him more and more, we're given a capacity to take in more of who God is, to perceive Him more and more. And He's infinite. What an amazing thing. We cannot find out God by any amount of searching, studying, chemical enhancements, no matter how legal or illegal, or any experience we can manufacture through person, place, or thing. John says this at the end of his opening lines in, in the gospel. No one has ever seen God, the only God, the only God, who is at the Father's side by me. He has made him known. Uh, another smart guy puts it this way. Jesus is the mirror of deity. He is the express image of God's person. He interprets God to our dull hearts in him God becomes visible and intelligible to us. A body fashioned for the gracious purpose for which God had always intended. A body broken so that mine would not be. A body whose blood was shed so that yours would not have to be. And a body raised so that yours and mine could be. And he seated Christ at his right hand in the heavenly places. So Jesus sits down at the right hand of the Father when He's raised up. Sits down. So that by trusting in Him and by His grace, we can stand where He's placed us. And we are covered with foreign righteousness that we may see His glory. We're covered by Him. He is God's great right hand, the expression of both His justice and His favor. And we see the essence of His heart at the cross. 
I will have compassion on whom I will have compassion. I will have mercy on whom I have mercy. And as if that weren't enough, by the way, he transforms us into dim mirrors. We see through a mirror dimly, but one day face to face. And John, in a letter we call 1 John, chapter 4.12 says this, No one has ever seen God. If we love one another, God abides in us. And His love is perfected in us. Why would He say it that way? If you're in Christ and you're being transformed, you display God, the character, the essence of God, by loving those who don't deserve it. And none of us do. We reflect Jesus. He reflects God. And at the core of God is mercy and compassion on those who don't deserve it. Next week we'll talk about why he's free to do that. Any questions? Okay. Everybody's legs are asleep. I'll pray. It's overwhelming, Father. What great love that you have shown us to call us the children of God, and so we are. Not because of anything we've done, in spite of who we are. You have shown us great mercy, great compassion, great favor. And Father, you said you know us by name. I pray, Lord, that we are overwhelmed with your grace and your mercy to such an extent that our next breath is show them your mercy too. Be gracious to them also. Let them know you too. Can we reflect your heart? Would you help us to reflect who you are and to do it well to each other and to a world that is chaotic crazy, gone mad. Help us to be agents of reconciliation, ministers of order, pointing to the invisible displayed for all in Christ. It's in His name that we pray. Amen.